0: Welcome to it once again. It's the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast. Hello, everybody watching and watching that awesome goaltender, the picture of Jill Malosh behind me on Sportsnet 360 right now. Any chance I get to big up Malosh, I always will. Uh, How are you doing today? Glad to have you aboard. Uh, Action-packed program today. Uh, Elliot's going to kick it off. He returns. Uh, yesterday was a writing day, 32 Thoughts, the latest that Sportsnet.ca has published. Uh, have an eyeball there. We'll go into a, a couple of the details that he brings up on the uh, on the blog. And i got a bone to pick with Elliot. Surprise, surprise. Bottom of the first hour, legendary Vancouver Canuck, the first gentleman to have his jersey number retired by the Vancouver Canucks, number 12 Stan Smeal. We'll, uh, we'll stop by the uh, the program here at the bottom of the hour. 45 years, done pretty much all of it with the, uh, the Vancouver Canucks. And when I say done all of it, I mean he's done almost every single job within the Vancouver Canucks organization, uh, from player to coach to executive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I have a look back at his career with the man himself, Stan Smeal, Sam Cosentino, uh, lead draft analyst here at Sportsnet. We'll stop by. His, um, his first rankings are out. Spoiler, Macklin Celebrini number one. But it'll be an interesting conversation with Sam. Uh, it always is, uh, because I- I'm curious what separates him from Cole Iserman, who's another name that you're going to be hearing plenty of as these two jostle for a top spot. Last year, it was Conor Bedard in a runaway. Uh, we all know that from bell to bell, wire to wire, stem to stern, however you want to describe it. It was all Connor Bedard. This year, is it close between Celebrini and Iserman? Uh, Sam Cosentino weighs in on that. And at the bottom of our two, we'll talk about the Seattle Kraken and, and their disappointing start and how they plan to turn things around. Reacquiring Daniel Sprong could be a start. Uh, Allison Lucan uh, stops by the program in hour two. So lots to get to today. Congratulations, by the way, uh, to Josh Norris and congratulations to the Ottawa Senators. You are out to a great start and it was wonderful to see Josh Norris, who got the standing ovation yesterday. Um, it was great to see Josh Norris score a couple of goals en route to a huge win. Uh, against the pittsburgh penguins and yes there are already plenty of questions about the pittsburgh penguins and where they fit into the scheme of everything right now Uh, we're going to get into that in a little bit here with uh, with elliot we'll talk plenty um, about josh norris who returns with a pair of goals the ottawa senators just handing it i mean just handing it yesterday Uh, To the Washington Capitals, six to one is the final. The Penguins get doubled up six three by the Pittsburgh uh, by the uh, Detroit Red Wings, and in the process, Alex Debrinkit with a couple of goals. And a look at your scoring leaders right now. Sorry, Leon Dreisaitl, you are number two. Alex Debrinkit is number one, and don't look now, but Saturday's on the horizon. You know what Saturday means, don't you, Elliot Friedman of Thirty Two Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada?
1: Yes, it means I have to do way too much work.
0: <laughs> but you also get to watch the return of Alex Debrink at the Ottawa as a Sens face-off against the Red Wings.
1: Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about this, watching the two teams last night, when this game actually was going to be, and then I was like, I probably should know it's this weekend. Like, nothing is a better <laughs> example of my tunnel vision than not realizing yeah. it was this weekend. Look, I mean... Dabrinkit's look very good. Ottawa's looked really good. It's a nice little marquee game uh, at the start of the year. And, you know, the thing about the Dabrinkit is one of my critiques about the Red Wings, the reasons I was, wor- reason I was worried about them was I just didn't know if they had a game-breaker. And if you look at all the players they've drafted the la- last little while, like Cider is a hell of a player, and they're, they're hoping yeah. – Valeno's taken a big step this year, and they're hoping for more from some of their high picks. But, you know, that's one of the things that, that people were looking at, the fact that Eisenman was going out and signing so many veterans that you really think he just didn't mm-hmm. have enough. And, you know, maybe I just didn't give enough respect to the brink it, Jeff.
0: Well, listen, um, throw some respect on Debrinkit, certainly. Um, eight points uh, so far to lead the NHL. Again, it, we're just over a week, you know, uh, a week into the season, but nonetheless, there it is. But the entire Detroit Red Wings team, I mean, Elliot, 19 goals in four games. Yeah. Like, this is, and we're going to get to talk about the Washington Capitals here in a second. And Alex Ovechkin, uh, Ovechkin once again held shotless uh, for the first time in his career in back to back games. But. Uh, it's early, but the Detroit Red Wings are, don't look now, putting up goals, Elliot. And it looks as if that race for those three teams in the Atlantic, Detroit, Ottawa, and Buffalo, is legitimately, it's early, yep. legitimately going to be a race to see who's going to jump into the playoff picture.
1: I, I agree with that. You know, I, I think you have to really like what Ottawa's uh, doing with uh, with the holes in their lineup. I mean, there's one last hole. Norris was back last night, and it was... It was great to see him have a good return. Um uh you know, I, I so Ottawa to me, you know, they look they look good. Detroit looks good. Buffalo stumbled a bit at the start, but I still think they're gonna be okay. Um you know, I i I think everybody in that division, except for the teams that are there obviously, wanted to see some fresh blood. Mm-hmm. Like let's just see some new teams come in and and start to take some runs at the at the Big Four: Boston, uh, Florida, Tampa, Toronto. That have been there the last couple of years. And Jeff, it, it looks like it's it's really happening. Uh, the, these teams, mm. like I said, Buffalo stumbled a bit, but I don't think anyone thinks that's going to be long term. These teams look like they're ready to do it for real.
0: Should I ask the obligatory Shane Pinto question, or just leave it?
1: No, I I think. Uh, I think that one's going to sort itself out over the next uh, few days, I do.
0: Spidey senses are tingling on that one. We should mention as well, as I was big up 19 goals for the Detroit Red Wings, the Ottawa Senators have also scored 19 goals and surrendered 10. So uh, they're able to fill the net, fueled mainly by a big 6-1 victory over the Washington Capitals. And for the second game in a row, Alex Ovechkin is held shotless. And this is, surprisingly... Yeah. Uh, a team that so far has been challenged to score goals. Namely, yep, yep. they're not putting them in the back of the net at all mm-hmm. right now. Elliot, how much of a how much of room for concern is there for this team? Or do you look at the Washington Capitals and say, look, you know, at the beginning of every season, the young teams are going to have a jump. Have a look at the Red Wings. Have a look at the Senators. And the older teams are going to take a little while to get into the season. Mm-hmm. Is it that simple, or is there is there more there there?
1: Like, I don't buy that as an excuse, and I don't think it's a good excuse either. You know, once the puck drops, you should be ready to start the season. Like, saying, oh, the older teams take a bit more time. Like, to me, that's lame, and that can't happen anymore. As, as you know, Jeff, that uh, I, I keep a stat, which is the November 1st stat. If you're four points or more out on November 1st, you've got about a 15% chance of making the playoffs. And so the idea that, and like it, it's not like it, it, it's not like that is some super sensitive piece of information that can only be seen at the highest levels of government. I mean, everybody knows that with the loser point now, if you fall asleep, you it's hard to catch up. And so like the idea that oh they're a little older. Um, you know they. You, you got to give them an excuse. Uh, I think that's crazy town. Stop giving people excuses, Jeff. Is what I'm telling you. Look, like um, all I'm. You know, look, look, I'll, I'll, all
0: I'm saying. Hang on. Pause, pause for one second. All I'm yeah, saying yeah. about that is it has been a historical reality that normally older teams take slower out of the. I'm not, is not there saying actual it's actual scientific you should, you should evidence to back on. this
1: up. Or are you talking out of your butt?
0: Uh, I'm just looking at this as someone who's followed the game going back to 1975 when I first uh, stumbled across hockey as a five or six-year-old uh, little boy and followed closely. And it, it, generally, older teams, I think it's probably true of most sports. Older teams take longer to get into the season. Older players take longer to get into the season. Look at Alexander Ovechkin last year. And how many times have we said at the kickoff of the season, oh, Alexander Ovechkin, you know, goalless in eight. Or, oh, he got uh, he got blank, didn't even get a shot on net. And then by yep. the end of the season, he's got 40 or 45 goals. Like, we see this with Ovechkin year in and year out. That's why, despite the fact that the Caps have scored a grand total of, what is it, four goals in three games? I don't think mm-hmm. anyone's saying, oh, Ovechkin's washed in the Caps capitals are done
1: well you know I, I look at it this way first of all some actuary is listening to this right now and saying i'm gonna find out if there's any <laughs> statistical truth to this and and we'll see I, what comes I, I, up. I only
0: i only play an actuary when it's lockout time and i pretend that <laughs> i do right. things at actuaries no i play one on television
1: well i'll, I'll see this i think that um I, I think that the thing that really concerns me about them is they look slow, like and not just like Ovechkin. Like you know, I, I was watching last night the top of the sh- the top of the warm up, and you know it was you know Ovechkin's really got the white hair going now. So you look at that and you're like, wow, um, like we've basically seen him uh, age before our eyes. But like they look like to me they they constantly look like they're behind and. I don't know – like, there used to be ways in this game, Jeff, that you could deal with that. You could interfere. Uh, You could uh, dump the puck in the corner and try to slow the game down as much as you possibly could. Hockey is not played like that anymore. If you are really – if you are slower than the teams you're playing against, it's much, much harder than it used to be to cover up for that. Now, is it – Mm-hmm. Just now, and they have to figure out some things or some guys has got to get going. Uh, we'll see. But I, that's the thing that, like, to me last night, it just looked like Ottawa walked in there and was like, we're going to beat this team. They seem, Ottawa seems very confident right now. Like, even with the one loss that they mm-hmm. suffered, I, they look really good and really confident. And the the, the Capitals, to me, they just looked slower. They just looked unsure. Um, you know, I, I mean, like, they are kind of doing, a, a, like, a bit of a, I don't know, rebuild the right word, but they're retooling their team. Like, they went out and they, you know, Rasmus Sandin, um, it's pretty clear they're trying to move on from Anthony Manta. Like, to me, they're a team right now that's a little in between of what they were, and what they're going to be. And I think you can see that in the way they play.
0: I'm going to put this out there. So when you are speaking of the Washington Capitals, Martin Favere, and you write about him this week in your blog, um, yeah. for me, is always front and center. Um, some of the fastest feet on any blue line in the NHL. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, it is fascinating. You write about uh, SMT, and that's the group that does the puck and player tracking. And the one player in the entire league, according to their research, who skates faster than Connor McDavid in both maximum velocity and puck-carrying speed yep. is Fairberry. Clocked at 24.2 yep. miles per hour in both, compared to McDavid, 24.1. So it is the slimmest of margins. Yep. But here's my beef. Here's my beef with your, with your blog this week. Just an for an interview with him in, in Stockholm. Well, I got a few, but I, I don't want to bore people too much. And then you write, of course, Merrick had to ruin this by asking who the fastest backwards skater is. And he responded, Kel McCarr. I'm fascinated that you're not curious about who the fastest backwards skater in the NHL is. I know I, I just back wanted to, this to make video, sure you were reading. stunned. <laughs> Down to 26? Yeah. Down to thought
1: 26? Yeah. yeah, Merrick stops at 17. <laughs> it, Let's see. Yeah. The... Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, okay. I made so it all... there's there's 16 slow guys in February. Let's say that. no. I I like to me oh. like like to me Washington is just a team that is there. There's like they've begun their changes, right? And like you know when when oh, yeah. Washington was really good, like you they had an identity. They had. You know, they, they could outscore you. They were always underrated as to how physically powerful a team they were, too. But they could outscore you, and they were a very, very tough team. And I just think they've kind of lost that identity a little bit. And I think a lot of us uh, thought that last year it was almost easily explainable that Carlson wasn't there mm-hmm. and he got hurt. And I think now we're yep. seeing it's, like, it's seeing it's more than that. Like, when you look at the next generation of capital, you know what Ovechkin is, you know what Backstrom is, you want more from Kuznetsov, you know what Wilson is, you know what Carlson is. It's almost like, if you look at Dallas, one of the reasons I think Dallas is a great team is they've got their senior guys in, you know, Dan and Sagan and Pavelski, but now they've got their next generation taking over the team. They've got Robertson, they've got Hanskin, and they've got Hanson. They've got all those guys who were rookies last year. Like when you look at Washington, you've seen all the guys that were there that won, and now you're wondering where's the next wave. And I think that's what, say, Dallas has that Washington doesn't yet have.
0: Dallas is going to be good for a long, long time. Um, I I think that's – the most obvious statement of the show today. Um, a couple of things from the blog. Um, most specifically, healthy Austin Matthews. Um, and now we'll see Austin Matthews in the Maple Leafs in action against the Florida Panthers. Tonight It is a busy Thursday around the NHL. Tuesdays are busy. Thursdays are busy. Saturdays are, are busy. Thursdays is stacked tonight. Yeah. Um, do you want to get into a little more, little more depth about what you write about Austin Matthews and the health of various body parts, most notably the wrists.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, um, so, you know, after the the, the first two games where you had the back-to-back hat tricks, I think I'm no different than anybody else who covers hockey in the sense that you're always looking for what's the reason this has gotten better, right? Like, you know, you're always saying, what's he changed? How's he adjusted? And, you know, the other thing, too, you have to remember here is that Matthews takes it very seriously he's a He's a very hard worker, so you you think that you know there's something there that he's done, and the responses kept on coming back you know he's healthy he's healthy he's healthy and you know i I think the other thing too is that um you know like last year he had some injuries, he had the hand injury, he had the knee injury, he missed a few games, but just in all of yeah. the talk about that there was some rumor that and like it basically came up that if you look back there's been a lot of talk about how he didn't have the ability to fully train the last two off seasons and it just basically got me to where where i could find is that i think he had like it's been publicly reported he had a surgery in august of 2021 i think he had something small last in, in the summer of 2022 that that never came out, and um, and you know he didn't want to talk about it. You know his position is the past is the past. I don't want to make any excuses for last year. And geez, I I wish I had to make excuses for a year in which I scored 40 goals and had 85 points in 74 <laughs> games. But I I think that's the standard that is there for him, and I think he accepts that standard. So he didn't want to talk about it. He was looking forward, not back. But uh, but, Jeff, I do think there was something. I think there was a minor procedure in the summer before last season that slowed him up. And, you know, it, his, it's been talked about how much easier he could train this off season, how he was able to do it. And I just think there was no off season procedure. And, you know, you talk about mm-hmm. being ready to go at the start of the year. I think he was absolutely ready to go at the start of the year. Yeah.
0: And you can see in that Chicago game as well, uh, when the game started to fritter away from the Maple Leafs, despite the fact that he had, I don't know how much, was like 12-shot attempts, Uh, throughout the game. He was still trying to fire it, how much he took it and how much he didn't like being on the losing end of a game against the Blackhawks and Connor Bedard. Um, And it's early in the season. So it's it's, it's a focused Matthews and a a healthy Matthews we're seeing this season. Um, Okay, something that was at least online, Elliot, met with um, almost overwhelming at least consternation and in some cases anger. And that was your report about decentralizing the draft. So teams would stay in their home base, in their home cities, uh, do the draft remotely. The players would be, I don't know, at some type of venue, at a rink, at a hall, at a ballroom, somewhere all together. But essentially, the teams do the draft from their home center. The thinking behind it being, as we've talked about here and on the podcast as well, there's a lot of dates that are really close to each other. Most notably, the draft and free agency on July 1st. Um, yeah, man, people really did not like this idea at all, Elliot. I you don't know. know that that's going to matter, uh, but still, what's the latest with this one?
1: Well, I think I, I think the one thing you always have to be careful about is, you know, Twitter is not the real world. Only 20% of people have a Twitter account around there. So you have to be careful of how much you draw from it. That said, Jeff, I did see what you saw, like an overwhelmingly negative reaction yeah. uh, to the idea. Um, I look at it this way. Um, like I said, last weekend on the air, I thought it was, it was likely to happen. I had a couple of people who hedged a bit. They said some people who might've initially said they would like to see a change are now thinking deeper about it. You know, the teams have until I think it's next Tuesday, to submit their uh, official reasoning or thoughts one way or the other. So I think it's just best to let it play out. Um, You know, I don't Mm -hmm. speak to everybody. So, you know, sometimes you can be overly influenced by one particularly strong opinion. So I just, you know, I think you should let it play out. Um, You know, the one thing I was thinking about, you know, I think you have to, like the fact that a lot of quote unquote average everyday fans didn't seem to like it. I started to think about, you know, if you are going to change the draft, um, you know, how are you going to, what can you do to maybe to maybe make them feel better? And, you know, one of the things I've thought about is last year in July, uh, around their summer league in Vegas, the NBA uh, did a convention, like an NBA convention. And... What I would say this, and maybe they should just do it anyway, but if they change the draft, create an NHL convention around the draft, like have an event where, um, like, for example, the Coaches Association, it was reminded to me today that a lot of the coaches are there, so they have a big yeah. uh, convention of their own where young coaches come and they get to listen to the NHL coaches. And someone told me that when they were going through some of the you know, video systems and upgrades they wanted to do to analytics that the league keeps, like they did it at the draft with the coaches input. And this is and so mm-hmm. fans should be able to go to a draft and have an experience. Like, you know, some of the things you can do is, is you can like the latest in NHL fashion. You can have fans create some of their own stuff and you like a big convention where it's whether it's equipment or jerseys or whatever fashion, you'd have a job fair. Um, You can do all of these kinds of things and turn it into a big NHL convention event. So the one thing I'm thinking is, and I don't know the way this is going to turn out here, Jeff, but if they are going to change it, I don't see why you can't make it something fun that's a destination for fans. Use the alumni, use people in the current cities, coaches, you know, whatever. Just find a way to make it good.
0: Or entertaining, or a good experience. Job fairs, collectibles. Yep. Uh, I would imagine the American Hockey League might want to get involved. Ditto for sure. the CHL as well. Sure. Um, I like ha- I like having those those coaching seminars open to as many yes. people as possible. I mean, I can recall. like you remember the um? Actually. Now that, now that i now that i think about it um there was that one coaches association seminar the, the mcdavid draft in uh, in florida where rocky thompson gave a presentation and i, I think it might have been on something as simple as just zone exits and you know normally these things the first big i mean you've been part of these for a long time you know what it's like it's early in the morning and a lot of guys are sometimes sort of tuned out on the whole thing but uh, thompson did this incredible presentation and the guys from the Windsor Spitfires were there and like flew them to Windsor right away for a job interview. And you end up getting a job out of it. Like some of these, I mean, you've been part of these, like some of these, some of these talks are fascinating. And I think if you open them up to more fans, I think it gives them a real interesting peek behind the curtain from a from a um from a coach's point of view i think you should have like uh nhl officials association there as well like i'm with you like the more that i think about it this you know blown open wide open nhl fan fest makes a lot of sense again if you're not going to do it the traditional route and i know a lot of guys and you do too and you know, maybe even know you, should do it if you, that
1: maybe you should do it if you still are but i just like i'm trying to think of alternatives
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I I I do know a lot of people that you know, much like you know, Grateful Dead concerts, will follow the draft around every year. Um, Give them something if you're not going to give them that traditional draft with all all 32 tables. Uh, Before we wrap up here, uh, a couple of things. Um, Stan Smeele is going to drop by in a couple Mm -hmm. of moments. You know, 45 years of the Vancouver Canucks, number retired. You know, a real tough player. um, Real, guess a miserable player to play against a uh, long-time captain of the Vancouver Canucks, legendary junior career as well with New West. Uh, do you have a thought on Stan Smeal, or any interactions or stories that you've ever had with Stan?
1: Well, there's one story I was told that I can't share, unfortunately, because it's just not, it's not bad, but it's just not good for a young audience. Um, oh. Uh, but uh, it's not anything bad, though. Look, like, uh, I just remember the one, like, I went to a uh, summer camp with a lot of kids uh, from Vancouver and Stan Smeal was all their favorite player. I always remember that. Um, yeah. the, the, the attachment between the fan base and Smeal is uh, not to be underestimated. It was enormous. Um, you know, I know you're going to ask him about his junior days as part of punch McLean, but sure. you know, I, I yeah. know, I know last year before Rutherford was hired and they made changes And uh, you know he took over as the interim GM for a while. The one thing that a few people told me was he gave a speech in the in the dressing room about what it meant to be a Vancouver Canuck, and it was really riveting. Mm. Um, You know I I think obviously this is a a different day where not as many people play one uh, most of their career with one team. A lot of people move around a lot more. But uh, Smil was the heart and soul of the Canucks for a long time, and. He talked about that in speech in that speech, and I know it really
0: resonated with some of those players. Uh, very much looking forward to Smil stopping by here in a couple of moments. A um, a, a, a sort of Vancouver story here, um, and it relates to an injury with the Nashville Predators that you write about uh, at your blog at Sportsnet.ca. Uh, the Luke Shen injury does that take them out of the Connor Garland sweepstakes at least temporarily?
1: Well, you know, first of all, I, I'm happy for Shen in a sense that initially the word was injury was a lot more serious than that. So I think that's why, if you'll remember, he got hurt and it took them almost a week to uh, announce it. So I'm, I'm just happy for Shen that it's only going to be that length of time. Um, you know, I, I, like, I think a lot of people were looking. Initially, I heard that Nashville was one of the teams that was very serious, It made sense about Fabro. But now that Shen's out, they really need Fabro. And I I will say this. I had some people who told me that as much as Nashville kind of entered the picture in a big way at the beginning, I'm not sure Mm -hmm. that they were still there in the last couple of days as much. I think they're kind of on the periphery. But, like, I thought that they'd be the team. I was just told, uh, or I just got some information saying, don't go as hard on that. So that's where we are.
0: I wonder about Washington, and I have from day one as well. And with the well, especially after what we've seen the last season, couple of days. Taps. Yeah, yeah, it makes yeah. a lot
1: of sense. That's that's the
0: that's that's one of the teams that I wonder about here. Okay, really quickly, uh, the video is out, put out yesterday by uh, by Sportsnet. Uh, <laughs> the video of you and Tim Stutzla. Shoe shopping. By the way, Paul Sadoo, and you mentioned this in your tweet. Great work as always, Sadu is elite. Um, give us for those that haven't had a chance to see it and have a, have a peek at this online. Shoe shopping with Tim Stutzela, Elliot. Go.
1: Well, first of all, I, I think the guy's got a lot of star power on and off the ice. I, you know, I, I think he's a. Uh, like, obviously, he takes his hockey very seriously. He's worked hard to become a really good player in this league, and he's going to be rising up the yes. list of, uh, of top players. Um, but I think he's also a guy who likes to have fun off the ice. He knows when it's time for fun and when it's not. And you'll remember last year, Jeff, uh, we spent some extra time with him in Mannheim, and we spent a day scootering around the city and uh, having spaghetti ice cream, which remains the best ice cream I've ever tasted. But um, so this time, and I should shout out Amal because Amal played a role in this too. Uh, when we knew he was going to sure. be in Stockholm as part of the league and player tour, um, that uh, they, they went to him and they said, what can we try this time? And he was game. And as he said in the piece, he's a real shoe guy. And uh, so they came up with the idea of uh, of shoe shopping with Stootslop. And, uh, again, he was fantastic. He made the piece. Um, he had some great lines about Giroux on the bench and Brady Kachak's terrible shoes and how his shoes got stolen yeah. from outside his house. And Sanders fans and people of Ottawa, you have to watch that piece and get them back for him. And also how DJ Smith does not allow running shoes with, uh, with suits. So, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, like when he showed me the Air Jordans, like like I said, it took me back to when I was 22 years old. I, I remember Jordan winning NBA titles and those things, so that was going to win it over for me. But like I said, Jeff, in the run up to this, there was a, there was a bit of a how do you do, fellow kids vibe to that one. But you know, I will say, like you know, you've known a long time. We've known each other since we you know we got into uh, our careers. Like, there's no way I would have done that piece 30 years ago. I was way too stiff and, and way, too You're way too serious. You are way too serious. Way too yeah. serious. And so, like, I think, like, if we're talking about, like, I just thought about Bedard in the last week, um, you know, about how he did a lot. I, I just think if we're going to ask players to do more, I, I think you always have to just say, you know what, I'm going to take myself out of my comfort zone too.
0: You know what I took away from all of that, Elliot? DJ Smith oh God, oh. is the, en- the, the enemy of fashion. DJ <laughs> yes. Smith, the enemy of fashion, does not allow sneakers with suits. The enemy of fashion, DJ Smith, head coach of your Ottawa Senators. All right. Uh, thanks, Reed. It's uh, a podcast day to drop tomorrow, so we'll record tonight. I will join you again in, I don't know, 10 hours or, or so. You're not done with me yet today.
1: All right. Work husband. We'll chat later. There he
0: is, my work spouse, Elliot Friedman, uh, taking a pause and then uh, we're reunited later on tonight for another recording of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Uh, catch your breath, have a drink, uh, take a sip. Coming back, other side, Stan Smeal, the Vancouver legend. who uh, Scaled back some of the responsibilities. Uh, still very much a, a member of the Vancouver Canucks and the organization and the community, uh, but a look back at a spectacular career Uh, from the first man who saw his jersey go to the rafters, Uh, the legend who is uh, not just a legend on the ice, but behind the bench, in the executive suites, and in the community as well, Stan Smeal on the Merrick Show in moments across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment.